So we're at chapter 9. <clears throat> Mine, uh, the uh, paragraph says, the Gibeonite deception. So Israel has defeated Jericho, lost and defeated Ai. And having uh, defeated Ai, they take a retreat. They go up 30 or so miles north to Mount Ebal, where Shechem is, the city of Shechem. And so God, in the telling of the story of the conquest of Canaan, uh, pauses, takes a pause in the description of the, in the battles as they go and Joshua leads them to worship him, to recite his law, to remind themselves. Uh, so the war is stopped for the time being. They need to listen to the word of God. They're uh, hearing and then heeding God's word is more important than fighting the war at this point. Verse 34 and 35 of chapter 8. Let's look at the last two. So they, beginning in verse 30, they're renewing the covenant. The battle is over at Ai. They've gone up to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim or twin mountains. Uh, again, by the city of Shechem. And there is, uh, they, they worship there. Uh, he wrote verse thirty-two on the stone. On the stones, a copy of the law of Moses, and all of Israel is gathered. Verse thirty-four. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. And the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So this deliberate trek up to uh, Shechem, to Mount Ebal, where Abraham first received the promise of the land, where after spending 20 years or so away from the land, Jacob returns to Shechem uh, when he'd come back to the land that had been promised. And now Abraham's seed, Jacob's descendants, uh, are at the promised place, enjoying the blessings, the fulfillment of the promises of God to give them the land. They've just started the conquest, but they're enjoying that. It's a significant place. It points to the faithfulness of God. Uh, and we talked two weeks ago that time, though God is slow according to our timetable. God is right on time, and time does not uh, weaken or invalidate the promises that God has given. And uh, back in chapter 1, verse 8, the point here is they're going through the cities and they take this break. Uh, I think Joshua 1, 8 tells us, uh, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's the point of stopping at Mount, going up to Mount Ebal, reading the law again to remind them that it's 
obedience to the word of God that is a result of meditating upon the word of God, then you know the word of God, then you do the word of God, and then you're successful. Uh, so that's what that, that end of the, the renewing of the covenant is about. Uh, Verse 27 of chapter 8, just to think about uh, this time. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as... Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. Um, You remember when they captured or when they defeated Jericho, they could take nothing. God allowed them to have spoil, rewards of war after taking Ai. And so there's that sense of the generosity of God in the midst of the intrigue of Ai where they were defeated and then they come back and according to God's plan, they take Ai and God blesses them with the uh, victory. it's, It's easy maybe to lose sight of the generosity of God as he does give them This spoil here, losing sight of the generosity, the grace of God, his provision can lead to covetousness, which is exactly what happened to Achan in Jericho. Uh, One of the commentators said it leads to serpent theology. Has God really said where the emphasis is on the restrictions of God rather than upon the blessing? of God, the grace that's lavished upon God's people. And so recognizing God's generosity will lead us to faithfulness. Uh, Contentment with his goodness will help us to be cured of unfaithfulness. And then in verse 28, another monument to the faithfulness of God, more stones piled up uh, as a remembrance, a memorial to God. So as we come to nine, thinking about your Christian life, full of ups and downs, isn't it? Victories and sometimes setbacks, obedience and then failures. Uh, Swindoll's book I mentioned a couple of times, three steps forward and two steps back. Uh, One of the commentators that I was reading likened Christian life to a roller coaster Right, He says, no sooner do you experience success than you plummet to a failure. But he says, the difference between a roller coaster and your spiritual life is that you can anticipate the descent of a roller coaster. (laughs) You know, the click, 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 and then you know what's coming. The Christian life is not always like that. These these downward... Uh, episodes are not always anticipated, and there's no forewarning. Uh, And so we'll often find ourselves, or I often find myself yielded to temptation before I even know it's happened. Uh, And so we're going to learn from this story here. It's a story of two reactions. The reaction of the Gibeonites... uh, to Israel's conquering, uh, as they've heard the stories 
all the way from the Exodus up through the wilderness uh, on the east side of the Jordan and then now into the Jordan, their reaction to hearing the story of Israel coming. Uh, and then also we'll see Israel reacting to the Gibeonites' deceit as they are deceived by these uh, Gibeonites. And the second thing is the story of the uh, insufficiency of self-sufficiency. It just is insufficient no matter how smart we are, no matter how strong we are, no matter how prepared we are. Self-sufficiency will only take us so far. And it's insufficient for the Christian, for life. Chapter 7, uh, Israel attempted to capture Ai. We, 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 I waffled on whether or not it was they were defeated because they didn't consult God. It didn't say whether they consulted or God, but it didn't say whether they consulted God, but it did not say they didn't. Here, it says they did not. They were certainly self-sufficient. Apparently, that's what happened in AI uh, also. So they were humbled, they were humiliated, and so we're going to see as Joshua and the leaders into a covenant, enter into a covenant with a pagan group of people, the consequences of relying or not consulting God, not consulting, seeking his uh, approval or his direction. So let's read just a little bit. We'll read a little and talk a little and read a little, and you ask some questions if you like. Uh, but in chapter 1, as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country, so that's going to be on the west side of the Jordan, where they are, and in the lowland and along the coast of the Great Sea, down all the way to the Mediterranean, toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So I have I've named this group here the MITO, the Middle Eastern Treaty Organization. What's NATO? Isn't it North American Treaty Organization? This is MITO. This is the Middle Eastern uh, Treaty Organization. They've gathered together. And, and it's widespread, one accord, military preparation. Israel's coming, so these six, here it's just six uh, peoples have uh, uh, allied together as one to fight against Joshua and uh, Israel. So that's a reaction to what they hear about uh, the Israelites' victories and their approaching. But there's a one different reaction from another group of people. Uh, verse 3, But when the, the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn out patched sandals 
on their feet and worn out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. Made me think you could just go to the store and buy some jeans for this, right? I mean, already you buy wore out today. But uh, anyway, so these Gibeonites have a different strategy than the military alliance. They have a crafty, a, a cunning uh, plan. Uh, they uh, going to turn the tables on Joshua, who had a crafty plan to defeat Ai. I remember the 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 uh, subversion, the 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 fake to the back, and then coming in of the other crowd of the other part of the army as they defeated uh, Ai. They're going to, they masquerade themselves and their animals as worn out. We saw worn out in there four times. Their grain sacks, their wine skins, all of that. They uh, uh, present themselves, if you will, to, uh, to the Israelites as just a battered, uh, ragtag group of folks. Verse 6. And they went to Joshua in the camp. At Gilgal, so you—I don't—you remember the map. I don't have uh, the slide, but the map, as they come across the Jordan down in the valley, Gilgal is their camp, right at the foot of the hills, right where Jericho is. Then they come up on top of the hill and defeat Ai, and now uh, uh, they have defeated Ai. They went up north to the mountain, and now they've come back down into the valley to Gilgal where their camp is. And so they, <clears throat> these Gibeonites, who just to know the city of Gibeon is a few miles west of Ai, so they're going Jericho, Ai, that's the next stop, uh, or at least the direction they're going. And they are, have come now to Gilgal in verse 6. And said to him, and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, so there you go, these uh, Gibeonites are, are part of the Hivite people. And remember, they're up at the top in this coalition, but this clan of the Gib the, those who are from the city of Gibeon They've gone a different trek than the military. Perhaps, uh, but the, the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. And they're going to present some proof, but let's just stop for a second here. 
Well, let's go ahead and read 12 and 13. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey of the day. We set out to come to you, but now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we fi filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey of five miles, or, well, 10 or 12 miles going down to Gilgal. So they have a ruse going on. They have a, they're very sly. They are, uh, they arrive uh, claiming to be from a distant country. Uh, if we were to turn, if you want to, I'm going to read Deuteronomy 7, the first two verses of Deuteronomy 7, and we'll see some of what, why it is that they're ta they've taken this tack. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, this is, remember, Moses giving final instructions, the book of Deuteronomy. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. It's almost like these Gibeonites know Deuteronomy 7. They know the instructions that the Jews have uh, received from Moses. Joshua has taken up the mantle. He is taking them through and and they did that very thing to both Jericho and Ai. And so in, uh, in reality, we saw that they're Hivites. They're part of the people that were designated by God to be destroyed completely. And they knew it. And so they come and they say, we're, that's the point of we're from a far country. We're not part of Canaan. We're not under that curse. That's not us. In fact, the second time after Joshua questions them, they say, we're from a very far country. They add an adjective that sends them even farther away. Uh, but then they also demand a covenant. Well, Deuteronomy 7 says you will not enter into a covenant. So they're uh, asking for a covenant. There's suspicion at first. They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they say from a very distant land. And then they throw in their theology. Um, they demand a covenant. They intensify their lie by saying from a very far country. They say we're, we're your servants. We are your servants. So they submit themselves to Israel to allay their suspicions. That becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, as we'll see when we get by the time we get to the end. But the greatest deception is they come in the name of the Lord. Verse 9, from a very far distant, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. Um, 
We've heard your God is strong. We've come in his name. We're an envoy. Our, uh, there at uh, verse 10, uh, is it, uh, let's see, 11, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country sent us. Take provisions. Uh, we have gifts, but they're stale. You don't want them now. We've been traveling for so long, it just all went bad. You know, verse 12 and 13, these, these, the story that Gibeon heard is the very same story that Jericho heard. Heard about the, uh, all of God's miraculous work among the Israelites. What did Jericho do? Yeah, their hearts melted, and they just secured themselves in the city. Uh, now, these folks are hearing that very same story and reacting differently. Uh, Jericho didn't uh, no, try to negotiate a covenant. Uh, when some non-Israelite people hear the story, uh, they worship God. Who might that, we've, we saw one in Jericho anyway, Rahab, right? She heard the story, but she worshiped God. It was with joy she heard the story. Uh, when uh, Moses, who was Moses' wife? Zipporah, right? A Midianite. Remember Moses had killed someone, he'd fled to the uh, Midian desert, and so he's got a pagan wife, and uh, her dad gives her to Moses, that becomes his wife, and um, in uh, Exodus 18, as Moses is telling her dad about all the glory God had done to free them from Egypt, Jethro says, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. So some people, non-Israelites, respond uh, joyfully and worship God. Rahab and Jethro are just two instances, but that's not what happens with the Gibeonites. Verse 14, so they've come... Uh, with their deception, asking or demanding, if you will, a, a covenant. Verse 14. <coughs> so the men took some of their provisions. I couldn't find a commentator who knew what that meant. For sure. Does it mean the men uh, of Israel took some of their provisions to check them out to see if maybe they were telling the truth? Did it mean that Israel, the men of Israel, took some of their provisions and gave it to the Gibeonites because they were hungry and their food was bad? Some would say it's a covenant meal because they're about to make a covenant. And so they sat down together and had a covenant meal. But nobody would say what they thought it was uh, very strongly. But that's not the point. The second half of the verse is the point. 
of the story. Verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions. So men and there, those pronouns, it's just hard to know which is which. But we do know this. Did, but did not ask counsel of the Lord. Verse 15. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. So without taking any counsel of the Lord, uh, they make a covenant with these folks, taking them at their word that they're from a far country. Uh, they ask them a couple of questions. They got a little curiosity. They do a little investigation. But then they just enter, strike a covenant with them, enter into a covenant with them uh, to uh, protect them their, the, for their life, made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Uh, so, let me just go back and remind, we could, I could read Rahab's uh, uh, confession to the spies, but it's exactly how these guys' confession is in that sense that we heard the story, we come in the name of the Lord, claiming the name of the Lord, we're your servants, Almost the same confession if you read in chapter 2 and you read this, the language is so much alike, which says how difficult it is to tell the difference between faith and flattery. Rahab was truly converted or truly uh, a friend. These folks are not, but they say the same thing. Yes, James? Yeah. Well, they're, they're their servants. We're here to be your servant. <laughs> but yes, yes, it was a lot. But uh, it's subtle. It's subtle flattery here. For, I mean, because they're saying the same thing. How do they know? Um, again, one of the commentators. It's subtle. There's always something heartwarming for most of us when we hear that God's dealings with us are being spoken of by people at a distance. Isn't it it nice to hear somebody say something nice about providence who's outside providence? Have you ever hear that? I mean, you know, it's also not so nice when it's the other way around, but yes. Uh, So the wisdom is needed but they're, but they neglect the wisdom. That's the crux is they did not ask for counsel from the Lord. So that's the foolishness of self-sufficiency. They were confident. They defeated Jericho. They defeated Ai. They'd gone to worship God. And now they're confident in themselves, apparently. Somewhat suspicious, but not enough when it comes time to make the decision. They decided on their own. They didn't have wisdom because they didn't ask for it. It was theirs for the asking, but they did not ask God for it. And so they're duped because of their self-reliance, overconfident. 
acted on the basis of the Gibeonites' word, made a covenant with them that guaranteed their lives, or at least they swore an oath to let them live. Uh, the unbelief, the, the subtle unbelief that assumes I got this under control. You know, the uh, wisdom is available. God is gracious to give it if we ask. Uh, our need, our need is uh, no different from Israel's. We need the power of God to overcome our enemies. And then we need the wisdom of God to detect our uh, subtle enemies. Too often we want God's blessing, God's power, uh, while we ignore his wisdom and proceed upon our, on our own confidence and our own wisdom. So what does Israel do now? What do they do now that they have protected an evil people, the Gibeonites? Verse 16, doesn't take long. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors and they lived among them. It doesn't take long. The Gibeonites return home. Verse 17 And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jearim. So the Gibeonites uh, got home, returned home safe and sound. And then the Israelites here, we've been duped. We've we've been had. Uh, So they traveled to the Metroplex of Gibeon, these three little neighboring cities on the west side and going down to the south. If we had a map, if I had my map up, you would see that. So they've gone to Gibeon. They they reached there, verse 18, but the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, And all the congregation murmured against the leaders. So there's the dilemma. The dilemma is is now arising. Because of the terms of the covenant, uh, back in 15 and now in 20, the people are spared. Verse 20, this we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. Congregation doesn't like it. Did the people of Israel ever murmur against their leaders? <laughs> yeah, all through the 40 years in the wilderness. And now they're murmuring again against Joshua and the leaders. Uh, how can we let them get away with this? Justice be done. (laughs) Justice be done, the people are saying. And verse 18, 
But the people of Israel did not attack because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 19, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 20, this we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. So three verses in a row, the leadership says we swore to them. Uh, the people are probably saying, but it was a lying, it was deceitful. All right? There were certain uh, oaths that could be broken in the law, but this is not, this did not meet the criteria. So, deceitful, well, surely deceit in some of the commentators. I didn't find them, I just looked at a couple, but they, uh, one of the commentators says, you can find plenty of folks who say they could have broken it. Joshua just didn't do it. But maybe they obtained the oath by deceit, but the leaders weren't swayed. Uh, to break an oath would bring God's wrath. Um, By, they will eventually. <laughs> yes, but they've sworn an oath. And for them, it's the honor of the name of the Lord that they are standing by to uphold. Foolish oath. Um, to, bring, to break an oath would bring God's wrath. They know that. Warner has a point. There's the other side. They're commanded to get rid of them. But any breach of their oath that they swore would imply that God can't be trusted because they swore their oath in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Uh, at least the leaders stood on principle they forgot the wisdom of God when they made the oath, but they stood on their principles. They keep their word. Verse 21, there's consequences. The leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Um, that's the bottom of the ladder. Uh, in I, I don't know if I have yeah, Deuteronomy 29, there's a list of the people uh, almost uh, in order of uh, economic status, in order, not a, you know, just pecking order from kings down to woodcutters and water carriers. So they're, they're at the bottom of, of the list. But Israel stuck because of a lack of wisdom. The lack of the wisdom of God. So what do you, what do we do? I mean, you know, what did Jesus say to you? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. All right? What do we do when we enter into a uh, swear, in a sense, an oath, and it's a foolish vow? What do we do? What does Israel do? Here, what Israel decides to do is to make the most Live faithfully as possible in a twisted situation. 
Again, for many, it's hard to understand why they would stick to it. Yeah, that was for the, for the uh, and to work in the tabernacle mostly, to burn the sacrifices and haul the water. They didn't have to do that anymore. You're right. Uh, but if, as we uh, react against that, that these folks need to have their, get their due, uh, it can indicate in us a, 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 once a flimsy concern for truth. for our integrity. The culture oppresses us regularly. Um, Psalm 15, who shall dwell on your holy hill? That's verse 1. Verse 4, after a list of people who can dwell on God's holy hill, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. At times we have to live as faithfully as possible in the midst of consequences of our own sinfulness or foolishness. Right? Uh, you know, our preferences or our conveniences, uh, all, whatever justifications we can come up with don't, uh, should not be allowed to do away with what we've committed. And that's why I let you yay be yay. You know, why do we have to say, I promise, on a stack of Bibles? Why do, why do we, you know, we, uh, when I talk to Aaron, I expect Aaron to believe me. And I know he'll be skeptical sometimes. <laughs> but, but when I really want to drive home, I'm telling you the truth, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Why do I have to do that? Because I've lied before, right? We have to do that because we're liars, and we're not faithful. And and let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. There's really one in Judges, a vow, a foolish vow that's kept in Judges that really twists us around, doesn't it? Jephthah. Lord, if you'll give me this victory, the first thing that comes out of the door of my house is yours. He just knew one of his sheep that was in the house was going to come out, and his daughter came out. So what do you do? You, you repent and not uphold your vow, you would think. He didn't. Um, Saul? Jonathan ate the honey. Yeah. He didn't kill. He didn't kill. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, that's, these are, there's some hard things. But the bottom line is, or the main point here, verse 14, they did not take counsel of the Lord, but they swore an oath. Are we going to keep our word or not? Are we going to be men and women of integrity? Because even if I just tell Aaron something, as a Christian claiming that, it's in the name of the Lord, isn't it? Everything we do. 
and just let our yay be yay and our nay be nay. We don't need to make all of these definite commitments. We need to be people of our word. And this, now what do they do? They need to lean on the wisdom of God, how to live from now on instead of breaking the covenant. Um, it's hard. Verse 22, Joshua summoned them and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you? Where do you dwell when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you will never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. (laughs) He had to deliver them out of the hand of the people of Israel. And they did not kill them, but Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Why did you do it? Well, we were afraid. But James mentioned it. There is a hint of redemption For the Gibeonites, the rest of their, in in 2 Samuel, they're still with Israel, but not of Israel. They're still with the Israelites. So for hundreds of years, they're ministering in the tabernacle, seeing things. The um, seeing the atoning sacrifices, the foreshadowing sacrifices of the Lord Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice. The old covenant shadows that point to Christ. The special revelation of God. They hear the word of God. You know, the pagans, the non-Israelites, all they had was the general revelation of God in creation and the moral law within them, not enough to be saved, not enough to be believers in the one true God. The Gibeonites for hundreds of years were privy to information that the rest of the pagan world by and large was not privy to. The gospel the Old Covenant Gospel anyway. So, uh, that may be pressing. I mean, it doesn't exactly say that, but that's, we do know they're with Israel there in 2 Samuel. So, uh, I think just two things to think about, the the danger of self-reliance and pride. Martin Luther said, that he feared the Pope of self above all popes of the world. The Pope of self. 
Uh, and then we need to be keeping our word. Israel kept their promise despite the deceit. Uh, the leaders demanded keeping their vow even though the people grumbled. Uh, and that we wonder is a reflection of our hearts and the culture in which we live. That we wonder about keeping vow. You know, Jesus says it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not keep it. Let's be true to our word. Anybody, any helpful comments? Yes, Corey. Let's just say I go to the dealership and get a car loan. Yeah. Right? I don't seek God's counsel in that necessarily. Yes. Can't afford it. Buy a car too expensive, interest rate like 20%. Okay. You get over your head. I get over my head. Okay. That's sin and that's wrong. But also, after I make that agreement, I'm still responsible for that agreement. I can't necessarily say, okay, I don't like the interest rate anymore. Yes. I'm not dealing with the deal. I'm backing out of it. You're just backing out of it. You just go park it on their parking lot. Yeah. And leave town. Yes, yes. Does that make sense? Is that in line with Yeah, I mean, that's right. You, you, you live with the consequence. You're underwater on this car now, most likely, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to take your hit and live faithfully in the midst of it, right? I mean, you know, we have bankruptcy laws, right? They didn't have bankruptcy laws in the uh, Bible days. What happened? You went to prison, <laughs> you know? Uh, we need to do our best to pay our debts. Now, things change sometimes, but we still have to stay faithful Maintain our integrity. Protect the name of the Lord Jesus. We, one of the reasons that the church uh, uh, that we bought from this church, from the other church, was they were going to besmirch the name of Christ in their mind because they weren't able to pay a particular payment. And they did not want to bring uh, dishonor to the name of the Lord. They didn't want to disband. They didn't want not to be here, but they wanted to maintain their integrity as a, as a people, and they did. So we need to also, right? Let's yes. Yes, Derek. Just to say, but it doesn't sound like they asked God what to do after the acceptance. It doesn't say that they... That, Derek said they didn't, they, it doesn't say they asked God what to do after the deception. Yeah. The, pro, the trouble is we know they didn't at first. So they're, they're in an unwise situation. And then as we, as we try to sort out even AI, as I was trying to sort out AI, where it didn't say they didn't take God's word. Uh, uh, God's, they didn't seek God's counsel. It didn't say they didn't, but it didn't say they did. We want to be careful reading into what's there. God has given us what we need, right? Everything we need. Uh, and so, yes, that's, it doesn't say. But they did determine uh, the, the three times we swore, we swore, we swore, emphasizes that they were standing on that principle we swore on the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
So the implication is we don't want to besmirch his name. We got to go. Father, we thank you. Teach us to be people of integrity. Lord, we pray that uh, our words would be few, that we would listen to others more than we're apt to speak because with many words comes at times many pitfalls. Thank you for your mercy, for even your hint of redemption, redemptive purpose for the Gibeonites in the midst of their deceit. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be students. In Jesus' name, amen.